Welcome to Money School. My name is Mark Butler. I am the host of this thing. Money School was born about two years ago when I did a series of six free classes on really on the psychology of money. That's that's what I talk about. I my 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 way of being is that I don't love talking about topics or questions that I think are easily Googleable which is where I think a lot of the conversation about money goes, you know, things like how much of an emergency fund should I have and how much life insurance should I carry? And these are good questions. I think they're important questions, but I think they're questions that have been handled pretty well in 10,000 different blog posts. And they're probably worth reading now and again to sort of get a check on your specific tactics as it relates to money. But what really is going to move the needle in all of our lives will be the way we think about money, the way we feel about money, and what it tells us about the rest of our lives, the rest of our behaviors that are that don't that don't seem to be financial. So I want to do a little thought experiment with you today about the jobs we give money. Because it's become my opinion that it's never about the money, never. Every time I ever have a conversation with a person who who is convinced that they're going to have a conversation with me about money, we end up talking about everything else. It takes us two or three, we get about two or three questions deep into the conversation and we find ourselves talking about things that are not money. And you might say, well, maybe you're manipulating the conversation in that direction. Maybe, maybe it actually is a conversation about money and you're just steering it elsewhere. Maybe. So let's do this thought experiment. Let's just see what happens. If you're listening, by the way, if you're if you're driving, if you're listening to this recording, there's going to be some there's going to be some dead air for the next few minutes in this podcast, and I hope you will fill that dead air. By the way, not several minutes at a time of dead air, but little pauses because I want you all to have a chance to let images images come into your mind and and let emotions come and just see how you experience the things I'm about to present to you. So, the first prompt I want to give you is. Uh, the image of a uh, a person checking a bank balance. Just let your mind go blank, and then and then let let your let an image form in your head of a person checking a bank balance. And as you do this, I want you to notice what or how your emotional state changes, if at all, because it might not. But just give that a second. A person checks a bank balance. If you're in a position to, by the way, I would encourage you to sort of grab pen and paper and just sort of write down uh, whatever thoughts pop into your head as we go through some of these prompts. So a person checks a bank balance. Now let me give you a little bit more detail. A rich man checks his bank balance. Just notice how that mental image changes for you, if at all. Notice whether the emotional state changes for you at all. Let's do one more level of detail. An elderly rich man checks his bank balance twice every day. How did your mental image change? What thoughts popped into your head? Did your emotional state change? 
as you had more detail about a person who's checking their bank balance. Ask yourself, why is an elderly rich man checking his bank balance twice every day? If you're here live, drop stuff in the chat. I'm curious. Curious to see what pops into people's heads as they do this sort of exercise. Why does an elderly rich man check his bank balance every day? Twice, in fact. Why does he check his bank balance twice every day? In the chat, we have people saying anxiety, obsession, worry. Someone says boredom. Someone says fear of there never being enough. Someone says, I felt curiosity and compassion towards him. Someone says, maybe he's making sure he has enough to cover his different bills because he recently overstretched himself with investments. Someone else says he thinks he has to watch it to keep it secure. Great. All great. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect answers. Let's do another one. This will be our last one. We're not going to do this for 45 minutes. A person purchases a car. Let that image come into your head. A woman purchase, purchases a new car. How does the image change? How does the thought stream change? How does the emotional state change for you, if at all? A woman purchases an expensive new car. A woman purchases an expensive new car and gifts it to her child. Just let the thought stream come. Try to stay in curiosity as you notice the thoughts floating into your head, the sentences sort of writing themselves in your brain. Notice any change in your physical state, your emotional state. A woman purchases an expensive new car and gifts it to her married 30-year-old son. Give yourself a second to have that image form clearly in your head. Now, what's the mental typewriter doing? It's 
scan, do a, do a little body scan, see if there's an emotional change, physical change in state. Just hang out there for a second. Now come back to me and let's frame these two uh, experiments, these two prompts around this question. What jobs were these people giving their money? What are they asking the money to do for them? Was the woman asking her money to purchase a car? Was that her ultimate goal? What about the elderly rich man? If all he's doing is looking at a number on a computer screen, what, what is he asking that money to do? Curious to hear any thoughts in the chat. Someone says to give him assurance, peace of mind, give, uh, make him feel safe. Someone says to fill a need for themselves or someone else, asking the money to fill an emotional need. Someone says about the old, uh, the elderly rich man, he's asking the money for security and for the second one to share joy. Someone says the woman who gave a car to her 30-year-old son might be seeking connection with her son or to acknowledge a big accomplishment like completing an advanced degree. Someone says the woman is trying to buy the son's love. Yeah. Yes to all of them, no to all of them. Maybe, right? We don't know. But I think we all, when we when we sit with the idea for a second, we realize that like I said at the beginning, it's never about the money. We have this, we have this quick sense of, oh, we're pursuing something else here. Whatever it is we're pursuing, it's something else. So if I'm having a conversation with the elderly man, the first question may be, or the first couple of questions may be, okay, well, you know, have you always done how have you always checked your bank balance this often? We'll talk about the money, but then there'll be a why question. Why do you do that? Do you think? And he may give some financial answers first. Well, because I like my balances to stay above X. Oh, okay. Why is that? Do you think? Well, and then he has his answer. And then you ask a couple more questions and then you're getting to mental and emotional justifications, reasons for doing the things we do. And it's the same with the mom buying the car. Why'd you buy your son that car? Well, actually, first it's, why did you buy your son a car? Then it's, why did you buy your son an expensive car? And they're going to be, you know, oh, first it's going to be whatever. Oh, I want him to have something safe to drive. They just had a new baby. Uh, there's going to be, there's going to be the seemingly rational ideas. 
And then I'm going to say why two or three more times. And then we're going to get to something closer to the sort of durable truth that underpins the behavior. In my experience, close to a decade into talking to people about their money, I see people very often asking their, their money to do jobs like validate me. They ask their money to tell them that they are right and that they are good. They're asking their money for that. Um, and there's what's interesting is lots of different behaviors can do lots of different jobs. So for one person, um, having a big bank balance could be the pursuit of validation. I look at my bank balance because I want to know that I am wise and that I am smart and that I am a good person. So I look at my bank balance and I ask my bank balance to tell me that. Another person could be checking their bank balance twice a day for a totally different reason. It could be that they want protection. They're looking at their bank balance and they're saying, protect me. I'm scared. Make me feel safe. They're giving the money that job. They're giving the number on the computer screen the job of making them feel safe. It's the same exact behavior, two totally different uh, jobs. That's why in both these scenarios, yes, I, I kind of tried to load the scenarios up with some uh, more words that are more likely to evoke emotion, uh, more likely to maybe bring some judgment. Words like rich and expensive and you know elderly and even man and woman, all of these things sort of, they... They bring different things into our minds, or they can. They can, depending on our conditioning and our experience. But the same behavior can be evidence of two totally different desires, two totally different jobs. But I'm used to seeing people ask money to validate them. This is especially prominent for me in my work with business owners who are who are pursuing a never-ending, uh, an ever-increasing number, higher number on a spreadsheet. If that number on that spreadsheet just, get, just gets high enough, I will finally know that I am a success and that I'm worthwhile. And so I just need to keep changing the number on that spreadsheet so that I feel validated as a human being. I have lots of experience with uh, people who would identify themselves as savers. It's not really a term I use, but a lot of people identify themselves as either spenders or savers. Very often, savers are asking money to protect them and make them feel safe. Very common. I've interacted with people who are asking money to comfort them. That could be what the elderly man, the elderly rich man is doing. He could be feeling uh, lonely. He could be feeling just sadness. And he could be looking at that. Um, he could be looking at that bank balance twice every day to just get a little something to say, oh, it's okay. Life's okay. Look, here's something good. Here's something good in my life. It's this number on this computer screen. The mom giving the car to the son could be feeling sad. She could, she could be missing him. She could be mourning the end of his childhood. She, and she could be looking for comfort. Or she could be, you know, she could be sad in her marriage. This is the same for a dad, by the way. We just used a, a mom in our, in our example, or a, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a cousin, or a best friend. It doesn't matter. It's a relationship. 
comfort me. I'm lonely. I'm sad. If I do this, I'll get a little bit of comfort. Similar to get me love. Get me some love. If I spend this money in this way, then I'll be connected. I'll feel a connection to another human being. And I want to feel that connection. So I'm going to try to use my money to get it. Now, we we will say things like, oh, yeah, sometimes people try to buy love. And it, it's kind of easy for us to say, oh, yeah, you can't do that. But there are sneakier ways of where we're, we're trying to use money to get connection, to get love. This can look like the person who has more money than connection and gives lavish gifts, unsolicited, unexpected, <laughs> sometimes undesired, lavish gifts. The person's seeking love. It's what we're all seeking. It's just a question of how we do it. Sometimes we're trying to get, we're trying to use money to heal ourselves. We have some unhealed thing from the recent past or the distant past. And we think if I could just earn X or spend Y or own Z or save up some big balance somewhere, I'll be healed. The thing that has hurt for a little while or for a long while won't hurt anymore. So we're asking money to heal us. Maybe the most obvious one of all of them, or the, the one the one we might all be least afraid to admit is that we ask money to entertain us. I'm bored. Make my life interesting. Entertain me. All different jobs that we can give money. So it leaves me with the opinion that while we're trying often too often, I think we're trying to use money as a tool of emotional, um, sort of a, a way of achieving an emotion. Actually, the only thing that money can do is show us the expression of an emotion. Now, is that absolutely true? I don't think so. I, I can't be quite, I can't be too dogmatic about that because I actually do believe that in different financial circumstances, a person, different financial circumstances will bias a person toward a different emotional state. It's, it's in, in the, in looking at this through a probability lens, if a person has a bank balance that would sustain the spending they're accustomed to for years and years and years. I think that that circumstance biases them toward a different emotional state. And I, I want to acknowledge that. I also have to acknowledge that if a person feels chronically like they don't have the money to sustain the consumption that, that they're accustomed to, that also is going to bias them toward a, a certain emotional state. And I acknowledge all of that. But in a circumstance where a person's, and now I don't, I, hear, I use the word needs, but what I mean is where a person's 
consumption is satisfied, sort of their baseline expectations are satisfied. Once that's their reality, beyond that, money is something to be viewed as a tool of emotional expression rather than as something that can put us in a different emotional state. So for me, money is just, it's a window into our hearts and minds. It's this useful lens through which we can look at ourselves and our experiences to say, why, why do I do that? What am I asking the money to do? Am I asking it to heal me? Am I asking it to connect me? Am I asking it for comfort? Am I asking it for safety? When we're, when we're honest and introspective about that, then we're in a position to decide whether we want to move those emotional drivers inside instead of keeping them outside. And by that, I mean, we can say, oh, if what I'm seeking is a sense of safety, how can I generate a sense of safety that has nothing to do with my financial status? Because as long as that emotional driver is external, then I'm at the mercy of an external reality. If my bank balance changes and I've been relying on it for comfort or for validation, for safety, and then my bank balance significantly changes because of an external circumstance. Now, suddenly I'm not only dealing with the challenges of that, of that new circumstance, I'm also having to seek elsewhere for the validation or the confidence or the comfort that will then help me react well, respond well to the new circumstance. So when we look to external things to give us a certain emotional state, and then the external reality changes, now we have this sort of this double whammy of not only do I have to deal with the thing, but I have to now deal with the, with uh, the loss of my external stabilizer, my external emotional driver. But if I can get to that state through an internal process, and then my external state change, my external reality changes, it's, it's like a double whammy in the opposite direction because I've already developed the practice of not being too affected by external circumstances and I'm not relying on them. So when a person who's generated a sense of safety and peace internally sees their bank balance go down significantly, not only do they get to keep their sense of safety and peace, but they're also in a position to change that bank balance more easily because they're thinking clearly about it. That's why I think we want to become aware of what are the jobs I'm asking money to do? And am I sure that I want money to do those jobs? Or would it be time for me to look elsewhere to get those jobs done? Okay. Getting to be just about 30 minutes in. So I want to give some homework and then I want to chat with those of you who are here live. The homework for all of you is to just observe your interactions with money for the next couple of weeks. Ask yourself, what job are you giving this money in any given moment? Why? And it, it, the amount of money does not matter. It could be a $2 diet Coke. It could be a $1 million house. Both of those 
give you a chance to stop and to say, interesting, what am I asking this money to do right now? There's a possibility it's not about the Diet Coke and it's not about the house. Now, depending on what your habits are, I hope you want your sort of mental and emotional habits. I hope you won't rush to self-criticism. This is not a self-evaluation exercise. It's a self-observation exercise. Become the curious, compassionate observer and say, huh, I'm watching myself search uh, real estate listings online for million-dollar houses. What am I asking the money to do? What am I asking this house to do? Huh, that's interesting. That's the homework. And it won't take too many, uh, you won't have to do, do this homework too many times before you learn something significant. What jobs am I asking this money to do? Okay. Let us chat for any of you who might like to. Oh, that's so funny. I never shared my screen, did I? This is how we are. That's why we have to be compassionate and curious about ourselves. I have these beautiful PowerPoint slides. Now I have to share my screen because it's not acceptable that you're not going to see these PowerPoint slides. The people listening to the audio, they don't care. They didn't know they missed audio. They didn't know they missed slides. Who wants to chat? Who wants to talk about jobs they're giving money? And yeah, I'm absolutely putting these slides on the screen and I'm going to click through them. And then you're all going to praise me for how pretty my PowerPoint slides are. So get on with it. Dina Rudder, by the way, Dina might be listening to this someday. Dina's the designer who provides the template that I use. Oh, so pretty. Okay. Who's going to chat with me? I think you have the ability to just unmute. <laughs> all you wonderful people are praising the PowerPoint slides in the chat. I gave you all the job of validating me and you really came through. Thank goodness. I don't have to do that for myself now. Nobody wants to chat. I will. If nobody else will. Yes, please. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. I'm not, okay. I'm, I'm not going to say your name because maybe you don't want your name on this podcast, but yeah. fire, no, that's fire great. away. Thank you. Yeah. Don't. Um, I have some interesting thoughts about, uh, the way we do our money. I'm grateful for it, but so we work with our accountants. We have a, because I have an LLC, um, personally it's set up as an S core. And then we have like a, a family management plan that we can pay our kids to do stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we give them basically like the standard deduction until they're 18. We put that in the account for them. Um, and then pay their, they pay their expenses out of it all throughout the year, which for my older kids, sometimes they actually max out that amount of money that we put in there. And the little kids, obviously we have six kids, um, don't barely touch it at all. I mean, little league's cheap. Right. Um, and I know that that money, it really is theirs and there's a statement and we've done it all legally and we're following all the tax laws. Um, and my kid really can say to me, like, 
yeah, mom, I'm just giving you this money back. Like and we don't do, I have never done that before, but I'm to the point where my seven-year-old is like, mom, I, I, yeah, you can just take the money back. Um, and I feel weird about that because I did pay him for a job. There's a job he does and it, he, it's his use of image on my site in addition to some other stuff. Um, but I feel kind of guilty. Like my accountants say it's all above board. We've worked them for multiple years. Like it's all there. Um, but I have issues, I like not issues. I, I wonder about that. Like, is it wrong? Like, but am I wrong what I'm doing? And then I also wonder like with my older kids, like obviously we couldn't do this years ago. It's only the past few years we've done this. So we have a kid who's 19 who only experienced this one year. He got all the money. Um, we just gave it to him outright this senior year and he was able to save it, use it however he chose to do, um, pay for his mission for some of it. Um, but like, I feel like, it's not fair to my older kids that my younger kids get it. So I, that's just an interesting money situation. It doesn't cause me like lots of angst or anything, but I don't know if that brings anything for anybody else, but it's really, really interesting. I mean, even if I hear it, even though I say it out loud, I think, I wonder if the people on this call are judging me for what I'm doing with my money, right? Like, mm -hmm. do they think like, she's being dishonest. That's, that's a, when it's like, no, we're just, we're following standard tax laws. There's this, and it, there's a job and the kids get paid and there's a deduction and the kids are allowed to, but like, I, I wonder like, I think it causes me, I let it cause me more like nervousness in life. Sometimes I even wonder, maybe I just shouldn't do that. Maybe we shouldn't get that. You know, the first year it was like a $72,000 flow through there. You know, maybe it's just not even worth it to me to get that because I, I worry about it a little bit. So I don't know. That's yeah. Something. Yeah. And it's interesting that you were saying, oh, it's all above board. And it's almost like on some level, you'd be relieved if it wasn't above board and then you could stop doing it. And then you wouldn't have to think about this anymore. <laughs> that's so true. That, that's kind of what I was capturing there at the end. Like I almost, but I've also, if it wasn't, I'd be scared. Like what if we got in like, trouble? For, like I'm, it's, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's all, everything's documented. It's all there, but yeah, I don't, but I appreciate the deductions that come through because of it. And I also, another interesting thing I learned about myself as I watched myself with the money, um, having the kids have it is like my daughter, she went to a, a $8,000 violin summer camp last year, which I've never paid for anything that expensive for one of my kids before, especially mm -hmm. for just a two month thing. Obviously a mission maybe costs almost that much, but not a two month summer thing. But she's going to be a violin performance major and, and that's important to her. And, and this is a great thing, but because that money was already sitting in her account, I didn't have the emotional attachment to spending it because it was already set aside. Like I had just like, I don't monitor that money per se. Like, I don't look at, it just sits in their accounts and I don't look at it and like, okay, well, if something ever happens, it's there. I just, I know they have it. And so I feel like I've been more generous with my kids because I think I am a person who leaned towards being, whether you call it frugal or stingy um, before, or just really, really careful about money. Lots of years of my husband getting his PhD and stuff and having multiple kids while we had that going on that now I felt really grateful also. Like I have real feelings of gratitude that I, I'm more willing to spend that money. And another daughter came to me at Christmas time. I didn't know what to get her. And she's like, I want to go on this humanitarian trip next summer. Mom, it might cost between $3,000 and $4,000. I never spend that on Christmas. I'm like a $150 person on Christmas. Right. But, but I was like, that's a great opportunity. And I would love her to do that. And the fact that she wants to do it herself. And I was like, sure, the money's in your account, right? You can do it. And I felt great about it. And I, I think if she had come to me and I hadn't done it, I would have felt like, oh, we can't spend that much money on it. Even if I had that money in my account, I would have looked at it and been like, kind of like that guy you were describing who looks at his bank balance and like it needs to go up or his spreadsheet. Like, even though I'm not looking at a business, I maybe am looking at our family economy and like looking for money to give me um, 
like safety or security. I don't know. And, and validation, I think. Yeah. So it sounds to me, I'm, I'm just going to jump to a conclusion yeah. here that may or no, may that's not great. be useful. It sounds to me like the change in your financial state to going from where you would have just described yourself as more like, well, no, we're very frugal and very, uh, very conscientious about the money. And that was driving probably a sense of safety and of sort of rightness. Like I am, I, I am right. And I am good because I do this. And now there's enough money and there's a, there's an advantageous tax strategy that is causing you to do money differently. And it is messing with your identity. Oh, totally. It totally is. I've said that multiple times to people like it's transitioning from someone who was at, you know, this level of financial, even though I always thought we'd be somewhere like this, um, you know, with my husband getting an advanced degree and starting different businesses or whatever, it, it's uncomfortable almost, um, to be there. Not almost. We, <laughs> okay. Well, but sometimes I mean, I'm not always, yeah, it's, I'm not saying it's not all the time uncomfortable. I'm grateful, but also like we just bought a, a new cabin up in Pine Top, Arizona, where we live. It's a place we go in the summer. It's close to home. It's very hot where we live here. And I love going there with my family. I spend a lot of my summer there, but it's, it's also weird to feel like, well, I couldn't have done that before. And sometimes I feel like, well, I have to, like, I don't actually have to rent that cabin. If I, like we could pay for it without it being rented at all. I Airbnb a previous one, but I feel like, well, if I don't, that's sort of a waste. I should, I should, I can't just buy this for my, my family. Like I should be doing something with it. I should pay for it itself. And I don't even mind it, but I don't want to do it from an unhealthy place of like, like what you said, what am I asking the money to do here? It sounded like that was what I heard for myself when I, as I did the thought exercise with you that I was asking the reason I feel like I need to Airbnb it isn't because I need the money. If I right. did, great. That's fine. It's fine to need the money if I did. I'm asking it to do it to validate that it's okay that I spent that much money on a cabin for when my six kids are adults and they can all bring their families to and, and they can visit us in the summer or that my ward can go have youth conferences at or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Like that's, I'm trying to validate that rather than it's not so much about getting the money back. You're asking yourself if you're still a good person. Yeah. Because yeah. money's job historically has been to tell you that you're a good person. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. I, I used to show myself I was a good person using strat, you know, tactics A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. It's so different now. I have to sort of re I have to completely reframe myself to myself. Am I still a good person? And so you're moralizing some of these, many of these decisions. Yeah. Well, my daughter went to an $8,000 violin camp. That wasn't sufficient information for you. You needed to tell me that she's going to be a violin performance major. Yeah. Therefore it is good. Yeah. It couldn't just be a, my daughter went to a violin camp and that is the, that's the end of my story. Yeah. I wouldn't have told you that about my daughter who plays the cello, who just plays it like recreationally, right? Like, right. no, or, or with my daughter, I actually probably wouldn't spend that on that thing. But since it's the humanitarian trip for her, I'm like, oh, but that's, Something humanitarian trip. And it's probably gonna help her figure out what she wants to do in life. And she kind of doesn't know that. And so it, it makes more sense. It's really, I really appreciate you bringing this up because you're, you're giving us all a chance to watch you grasping, grasping may be too strong a word, but grasping for justification. Yeah. If the violin camp had cost $80, you wouldn't have brought it up today. Yeah. Cause that's, that's one fast food meal with a few of your kids. So, <laughs> but because it's 8,000, like, okay, I I've got to find justification. I need to know that I'm still a good person if I pay for an $8,000 violin camp. Mm -hmm. And so the work for you is to just 
stay in that compassionate curiosity and say, okay, what a, in, in any given situation, what am I asking this money to do? Mm-hmm. Am I asking it to validate me as a person to justify me? In this case, it's almost different. It's like, am I asking money to morally justify me? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have a religious persuasion. Yeah. So, so it's like, am I asking this money to give me evidence of my good standing before God? Mm-hmm. And I would just ask you to be curious about whether those are things you want to ask of money or whether you want to go internal with those things and, and, um, and, and have money be a smaller factor in, in that introspection. One quick question though, to clarify, and maybe other people have this question too. It's like when I just suppose my two daughters, one plays violin, one plays cello. And I felt really good about doing it for the daughter who wants to pursue it as a culture. You're not, I, I know you're not saying anything's bad, but you're not saying that it's wrong. Like, that we use good reasons or a reason like, oh yeah, that makes financial sense for this kid. You're just saying to look at it, correct? Like you, I could get to a place where I'm like, oh yeah, it doesn't mean that to me. And I still use that reasoning process to make the decision because obviously there's some reasoning process to make decisions we make about money. Yes. And yes, you're just saying, identify the emotions. You're saying, look for the emotions, look for what, of course, what the money's asking me to do, but it doesn't mean that the reasoning like if, if it's bad, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I don't know if I... the, so this is deep for you that you, you, you keep steering the conversation back toward correctness, incorrectness, goodness, badness, mm-hmm. not a problem, just something to be aware of because you're saying, you're saying, okay, Mark, but I need you to tell me that I'm still okay to use my reasoning and to evaluate myself based on these things. And I'm saying, I'm just asking you yeah. to, to notice it Okay, cool. because if I go full life coach on you mm-hmm. and you've given a great example with the daughter who plays cello and the daughter, daughter who plays violin, I would ask you to check in with your emotional state about each of those scenarios and then let the emotion be the truth. And that's maybe one of the life coachiest things I'll ever say, but the, the, the point is you, you, Stop making it about a pros and cons list. Okay. Even though you're going to have a pros and cons list, I'm for yeah. that. But at some point you just look inside, you feel inside and say, I feel peace about violin daughter. And I feel peace about cello daughter. And that is sufficient. Mm-hmm. If there's not peace, you keep hunting. Cool. Thanks for that clarification at the end. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you. What a great case study. Very generous of you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, okay. I saw hands, but I don't know in what order they appeared. So I'm going to jump to, uh, well, I don't want to say your name. Your name is, your first name starts with an A and there's only one of you. So that's you. Unmute and we'll chat. Hi, how are you? Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So um, something that's come up for me is I am... Um, I have power of attorney from my mother. She's in her seventies and she has Alzheimer's. So I am completely in charge of paying her bills and um, getting her to the doctor and, and purchasing everything for her. And I have really been struggling. There'll be times where she'll just need something from the store, like even something as simple as toothpaste. And I have like, she gets a small social security check and I have, you know, access to it. And so 
I'll, but I feel guilt whenever I'm like, oh, I'm going to use her money to buy toothpaste. <laughs> so instead of me being like, well, I mean, it's, you know, a couple bucks, like I should just buy it. But then I'm, I, I struggle with why does it matter? Like, what am I making that mean that I feel okay. bad using her own money for her stuff, right? Um, great example. What would it mean about you if you bought the toothpaste with your money? I love this example because we're all this way. So what would it mean about you if you used your money to buy mom's toothpaste? I feel like it would talk about maybe being generous or, you know, that I um, am repaying her for maybe years of whatever she's done for me. Mm. Do you feel a debt? Repaying is an interesting word to use. Um, I don't know. That's something I guess I'm, I have to kind of unpack. I feel like I should, <laughs> I feel like, you know, that there should be some sort of thing that, that children give their parents as they age. Okay. So you're asking money to prove that you're a good daughter. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. And then when you must spend mom's money on the toothpaste, there's, there's this little bit of evidence that you're a bad daughter. Right. Like somehow I'm selfish or that I'm, I'm withholding something I should be offering. Yep. And by yup, I mean, no, I don't agree with that, but that does seem to be how you feel. And that's, and that is great insight. Um, it's a great way that a money, that money is, is, uh, is opening a window into your heart and mind. So the opportunity would be, do I, if, cause for example, maybe you do start buying the toothpaste and other things. Then you would have evidence, evidence that you've decided is valid evidence that you're a good daughter and that you're a generous daughter. So that's a that's an option for you. Or you could look to have the feeling of of good daughterness look to generate it internally. Is there any other evidence you could reach for that would show you that you're a good daughter? I mean, she lives with us and I'm, have, I'm responsible for all her care. Yeah, I have three. How do you feel about being the sibling that mom lives with and who has power, power of attorney? <laughs> Honestly, I'm resentful. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's four of us and I, and it's all fallen on me to take care of her. Hmm. So the, the money may be giving you a hint at somehow, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to draw a clear, like a nice thick black line between these, but the money may be part of this resentment. There may be resentment about the whole situation. And, and when you look at the money, maybe you say, well, if I spent my own money on that, that would be sort of me acting against the resentment or proving that the resentment's not as strong as maybe it feels. I don't know. I, I truly don't know. Um, but I appreciate your honesty about the resentment because that's, that's what's really going on, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the thing to be 
looked at. Yeah. That is, I feel like, yeah, there's, there's definitely layers and it's, it's difficult because I also have four young kids. So my siblings, I'm the youngest by 14 years. Mm. And so, and so I have four kids. Um, and so I struggle with, okay, I can spend, you know, a couple bucks on mom's toothpaste, but then I also have a budget that I need to stick to because we have a one income household and I'm raising four kids. So I almost feel like I'm, I'm like switching between, am I going to be a good daughter today? Or I'm going to be a good mom today and struggling with finding that balance. Does that come up in how you spend your time as well? Do you find yourself torn time-wise between mom and the kids? Yes. Yes. Well, my husband, my kids, my mom. And then I feel, because I feel pulled in so many directions, I also feel like I have to take time for myself, Mm -hmm. which I'm working on not feeling guilt for. (laughs) So um, this may or may not be useful. I, I have no idea. But as you paint that picture, I'm coming back to this idea of the toothpaste and there there's this, you're describing a person who feels pulled in multiple directions. And that's even showing up in the moment that you're putting toothpaste on the little conveyor belt at the grocery store, because in the moment it's, I should be spending my resources on my mom to show I'm a good daughter, but I don't feel like I have a lot of extra resources, even enough resources necessarily to buy this toothpaste for mom. And that's how I feel about the hours in the day and the physical energy that I'm able to sustain. And the toothpaste might be a very interesting example because it might show the extent to which you feel maxed out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because you didn't tell me that mom needs a new car. (laughs) Right. Right. I take the $2 thing. It was a $2 thing. And I, and I, I I could be guilty of reaching. I'm often guilty of reaching, but it, it might, the $2 example might be evidence of just how maxed out you feel that you don't have $2 worth of money. And maybe you don't feel like you have $2 worth of energy given the demands on your time and on you and on you, uh, emotionally, all of it. Yeah, no, that's definitely, that's definitely true. Wow. So can you give me just a a starting point? Like, how do I, where do I start to just unpack as I'm thinking about that feeling maxed out? Like, I guess just stay really curious and look at what's causing that feeling. Have you admitted feeling maxed out to yourself? I think a thought I use a lot is um, I won't have more than I can handle. Like this isn't more than I can handle. Ah, noble. So so I guess, I guess that's my denial instead of accepting this is a lot. And it's, I I just keep thinking, well, it's not more than I can handle. It's not more than. So you might be, you might be sort of like white knuckling your way through this. 
with this idea of it's not more than I can handle. And That's probably it, really accurate. I love that white knuckling. <laughs> yeah. And it won't be more than you can handle until the day that it is. How's your temper? How's your, how's your, like, on average, your, your interactions with husband, with kids, with self, with mom? Uh, my frustration level is really, uh, so I, I start receiving input, right? So I'll walk into the house and everybody like wants to tell me what's going on, you know, and mm. I'm, I, I just sort of shut down. I'm like, I can't, I can't. And I go like hide in the bedroom for a couple minutes, take a deep breath, you know, mm -hmm. last night I literally like drove in the car for a few minutes just to have some quiet. Yeah. So you're living in fight or flight and you sound like a person who might choose flight more than fight. Yeah. This is just an opportunity for you to go introspect. It's too easy for me on this side of the screen to make sweeping guesses about whatever. Uh, I am curious about whether you're operating at Redline and whether you have not yet admitted that to yourself. And if you haven't admitted it to yourself, you probably haven't admitted it to husband. And mom's not in a mental state to even receive that from you. So she doesn't... Telling mom you're maxed out won't make a difference. She's she's incapacitated with her. Is is she that far along that she is incapacitated? Um. Yes and no. I mean, she still does a lot of care things for herself, right? Okay. She can bathe herself and whatnot, but okay. if I told her something, it would be very likely that within a few minutes she wouldn't remember having the conversation. Okay. So if you haven't yet admitted it to yourself, you probably haven't yet really articulated it to husband. And, and that means you're staying in this white knuckle state. And so I, I would encourage you to first spend time, go on that drive, go on that walk, go to a hotel overnight and give yourself a chance to say, what actually is my capacity? How am I feeling? How do I believe I can act? Do I really believe I can sustain this? And then having had that conversation with yourself, then hopefully you feel like you can have it with husband. And then I have no idea what the nature of your relationship with your siblings is, but they need to be part of this conversation, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so a, much. Is that I a starting really, point? It absolutely is. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. Great to talk with you. Really I wish you, I wish you recovery rest. Thank you. Uh, okay. There's just one other hand up. So you're on. Hi, thank you so much for making this available, by the way. I of course. It. Happy to. It's so timely that you're asking or you're talking about what's the job of your money because I have recently realized, oh, my throat's tightening up. Um, my husband lost his job at the beginning of December. And despite that, 
my spending increased. So I knew that we didn't have income. I knew that it would be at a future point. I didn't know exactly when, but all of a sudden I got into a new hobby and started buying up all of these tools for this new hobby of baking sourdough bread. And so all of these things were necessities and I like, I felt this drive to buy them and I would think, no, I feel guilty, but it's like, no, 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 I have to do it. And then I would feel terrible, but then it comes in and I'm having so much fun, but then I keep buying more and more and more things for my kitchen for these hobbies. And then I realized, well, wait a second. I, I think I want security because I feel very insecure right now. And I, I think that's what it was. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but then, so I, I changed my, my whole practice. I said, okay, I'm not going to buy anything. I'm going to put it on a list. And that list gives me comfort so that from in the future I can buy whatever I want to buy. And it's helped. It's, it's really stopped. It slowed down the, the spending. However, my husband shared this video of, of, of an entrepreneur. He's the owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team. And he was saying how at one point they're like at the first year they bought the, the team that things were so tight. They were spending $30 a month or a, a week on groceries. And I was like, I haven't changed our groceries, like our, our grocery consumption or, you know, anything that we purchase based on us not having money. So we're just spending money on debt. And I thought, why, why does like this one family decide, okay, no, we're going to strap down and only spend what we have where I'm like, no, let's still go buy all the nuts and the dried fruits and the fresh organic produce and all the things. And I, I guess I still don't quite have an answer for that except to tell myself I'm undisciplined. And I kind of like, I guess I'm beating myself up for it and didn't really know, but I still don't know why I'm doing it. Do you, are you um, employed? I am, um, but it's nowhere near enough to cover our expenses. Okay. You, you started out with an interesting statement and the statement was, um, my husband lost his job. And in spite of that, I increased my spending. My hypothesis would be my husband lost his job. And because of that, I increased my spending. And here's why Interesting. it's, it's my, my guess, my hypothesis would be there's a, there's a, in, in him losing his job, there's a sense of loss of control. And, and as the person who, who's bringing in money, but knowing that that amount of money does not cover the consumption that the, the household is accustomed to there's already a sense of not having the same level of control as if you did bring enough money. This is something a lot of people struggle with where it's like, but I'm not in control. I all, I, something I've heard so much over the years is I don't bring in money. All I do is spend money. And then there's this, there's this general sense of not having control. And then the thing that was sort of propping you up like, well, but the money is there because he has the job. Now that's gone. Now your desire to control goes into overdrive and it doesn't go into overdrive in your case of like, apparently drinking alcohol or eating donuts. 
it goes into a, a creation thing. I'm going to bake because then I can have inputs and I can have outputs and I can rely on the output and I can know that there's going to be a result from my efforts and that's going to be very soothing to me. And then, oh, but the money and the debt, okay, I'm going to put it on a list because now I'm still exerting control. I'm capturing that and I'm saying I can create that later, but it's still this, you're asking money to give you a sense of safety and to give you a sense of control in, in an environment in which you feel less in control. Um, yeah. I don't think I, 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 for me, the, uh, you know, the organic fruits and vegetables and dried fruit, et cetera, I, that to me sounds like a slightly different stream for me. That's more of a, like an identity issue or like, a like I'm the kind of person who buys fresh produce. And I think that's one of the things that makes me good. And so now cutting back on fresh produce, produce and dried fruits and stuff. Now it's a threat to my goodness. Cause I'm the kind of person who does that. And that's a good thing to do. And so now you're torn between like, Oh, but being a person in debt is bad, but buying organic produce is good. And now I'm caught between these two. I think it's fun. Yeah. Like I could do rice and beans, but it's not fun. Like if I only lived on rice and beans, I, like I keep telling myself we should be doing that, but it's just not fun. Oh, that's very, that, Hey, thank you. That is different from what I'm saying. And that's a great insight. For you, it's, it's, I use this money to make life rich and entertaining and interesting and et cetera. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Which I think that's why I feel bad about it. Cause like, oh, if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. Like, oh, I should be able to do things that aren't fun and responsible. Oh, good for you for admitting a sense of entitlement. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's. Well, like that's, I, I mean, I, I respect that you're saying, oh, I'm actually feeling entitled to my lifestyle independent, regardless of the current financial reality. Yeah. With that awareness, now you can take new action. If you choose to, if you choose to. Thank you. Yeah. Great to chat with you. Um, if those ideas resonate, then you can spend time with them and say, okay, well, how do I want to generate a feeling of control that's that's internal and feels healthy and feels good? How can I have fun in a way that is not in competition with our current financial reality? These are good starting points. Folks, thanks so much for being here with me live. I, I love these interactions. I look forward to them. Um, we, are, we are back live again in two weeks. That's going to be kind of our cadence. It's going to be sort of a couple times a month on live sessions. Yeah, more to come about money. Have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you all soon.